This morning, for our time in the Word, turn with me, please, to Psalm 107. I had texted Pastor Dale and let him know what passage I was intending to preach. I do not know if that is before or after he picked the hymns, but I'm assuming it's after, because I texted him that, ju- that just yesterday afternoon. And yet I cannot think of hymns that would more fittingly introduce the passage this morning. Psalm 107. And I want to ask you, when you think over your life, have there ever been times when your life seemed to be at its darkest? Times when you were discouraged and disheartened? Maybe times when you had great goals, but the obstacles were too many. You were too weak. You'd made too many mistakes. There didn't seem to be a way out. Your friends were aloof. Your best friend maybe let you down. Your teachers didn't agree to give you bonus points or extend a deadline on your school projects. Your employer gave you an ultimatum. Your family relationships were strained to the point of breaking. You ran out of hope. Has there ever been a time like that in your life? Probably so. Probably many times. What do we do in those times of life? Where do you turn? Well, there are many people, especially those of a religious mind. Thank you. Many people turn to the Psalms. And so, we are going to turn to the Psalms. The book of Psalms is 150 poems that serve as an inspired hymn book and have served as an inspired hymn book for about 3,000 years. The songs are organized into five books within the book of Psalms. Psalms 1 through 41 are a book. Psalms 42 through 72, 73 to 89, 90 to 106, and 107 to 150. The last of these books is a book of Psalms of praise. And Psalm 107 begins that section. I want to compare, first of all, the last verses, I'm sorry, the opening verses of Psalms 106 and 107. Psalm 106, verse 1 starts out, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And then the first verse of Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Here we have a pair of psalms which bridge from books 4 to 5 in the Psalter. And you'll notice each psalm begins, begins the same way. and it, it begins with that hymn that we read from 1 Chronicles chapter 7. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy or his steadfast love, his love, endures forever. This verse is giving us a command that's based on two complementary truths about God. You must give thanks to God because he is good, and you must give thanks to God because his mercy endures forever. 
So this morning, we're going to look at the psalm, and it's a call to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The word mercy in this passage is a word that refers to loyal love, the, the kind of persistent, faithful love that you would expect between a man and a woman who've covenanted together for life. This is a, a word that's, that's translated mercy. And in, in this context, it's not merely pity for somebody who's underprivileged, but it's an unswerving commitment, the kind of an obligation that grows out of relationship. There's different kinds of love in our society, but this is the love that's an obligation, a commitment because of a relationship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is a common exclamation in Scripture. It was the song of the whole choir of Levites at the dedication of Solomon's temple and became the song of the whole congregation, as we read, when the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This was the song of Jehoshaphat's army when they went to war in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But you would think then, it seemed, that there came a point in God's history where he abandoned his people. The Assyrians invaded, the Babylonians invaded, and all the people were taken into exile. Both the northern and southern kingdoms were overrun and dragged into exile. But God promised through, faith, through Jeremiah that there would be a time when Israel resumed this phrase in the house of God, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Jeremiah 33, that they would sing the song in the rebuilt temple. Ezra chapter 3, verse 11, they did indeed, saying, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And so this is a common refrain among the people of Israel, and it should be in our lives as well, should it not? That we would give thanks to the Lord because his steadfast love endures forever. And so when we come to Psalm 107, we have an introduction and then four unique, um, four unique situations that are examples of how we can give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. We can divide the psalm into six sections. There's a prologue, an introduction in the first three verses. And maybe your Bible puts a break in between these, or you could put a little line maybe in your margins so you know that there's, there's this division. But there's a prologue in the first three verses that establishes the theme for the psalm. I'm going to read that. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and has gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. It doesn't matter where you're from. If God has redeemed you, then you ought to return praise to God. That's the theme of this psalm. And so, there are then four central sections before the conclusion. I said divided into six sections, introduction, conclusion, and four main points. And if you look at this passage, there are four key turn of events that happen I came across this first in a, in a translation that had worded them all the same way. But here I want you to look down at verse 4. There are some people who wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. Look down at verse 10. There are other people 
who sat in darkness and the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. It's a different category of people. Some are wandering in the wilderness. Some are bound. Look at verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 17. There are fools who because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities were afflicted. And finally, verse 23, there are those who go down to the sea in ships and do business in great waters. These are the four categories, and yet those people in the sea were eventually at their wit's end. So, there, so there's four different categories of people, but when we look at this passage, we're going to recognize that in every case, they are brought to the ends of themselves, and where do they turn? It says in verse 6, then they cried to the Lord. It says in verse 13, then they cried out to the Lord. In verse 19, it says, then they cried out to the Lord. And who can tell me what verse 28 says? They cried out to the Lord. So in every case, they cry to the Lord. They turn their trials into a Godward prayer. And in every case, God delivers them in a specific way. And then the psalmist calls for a response. Verse 8, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Verse 15, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Verse 21, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And verse 31 says, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And then in each section, we're going to learn something about God's character or man's proper response in light of what God has done. So we're going to look at these and we're going to see their situation. We're going to see them cry out to the Lord for deliverance. We're going to see God deliver them. And then what are they going to do in response? Praise the Lord for his goodness. And then we're going to learn something about God's character. Because we're going to see that praising the Lord is not just a vertical response. It's not just what I do towards God, but it's my responsibility towards those around me as well to praise the Lord for his goodness. So let's look at these passages, look at these sections one at a time. And I want you to see if you could put yourself in one of these situations. Which one of these describes you? Maybe has described you most recently or describes you right now. Some, this passage says, have wandered. Look at verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord. Would this describe you wandering in a wilderness? I, I've enjoyed hiking around the valley here ever since we moved to the valley a little over a year ago. And there have been a couple of times when I've been hiking and I thought to myself or I said to somebody I was hiking with, this reminds me of the Judean wilderness in Israel. I visited, the, visited Israel a few years ago, and there's a couple of places where I said, if you took the cacti out of here, this is what the Judean wilderness looks like. Somewhere up on South Mountain, or just the rugged terrain, the lack of water, lots of rocks, a few spindly bushes. So you can imagine the psalmist in Israel, in Palestine, in the southern part of the kingdom, near Jerusalem perhaps, or down in the Judean wilderness, talking about people wandering in a wilderness with no roads. And, and I think we can pretty well identify with what that would be like. But have you ever been there in your spirit? Have there, has there ever been a time in your heart where you felt like you were just wandering? No direction in life, 
Nothing really satisfied. You tried a lot of things. But everything you tried didn't seem to meet your desires. You didn't you were hungry for something that didn't really satisfy. You were depressed because you couldn't find it. You just needed one more dollar, one more vacation, one more hobby, one more A in, in your classes, one more gold medal. Just one more. But never enough. And so you despaired. What do you do in life's circumstances like that, when you have the crisis of a hopeless longing. Well, what did they do in this psalm? Somebody tell me. What did they do in this psalm when they got to that point? They cried out to the Lord. They turned their attention to the Lord. You see that in verse 6. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. How did he deliver them? Well, it says he led them forth by the right way. He gave them direction. He gave them a path. He gave them the right way in life that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. He settled them down and gave them a home. Is this not what God does when we cry out to him in our, in our wanderings and in our hopelessness? When we try to do life our own way and we, we don't have direction in life and we wonder What's the meaning? And we turn to the Lord, and he directs us to his word, and we understand, oh, this is the way. And we, we align ourselves in it, and, and it's like we've settled down in a home. It's like we've been in the wilderness for all this time, and now we have a resting place. We have a city. We have a place we can call home. This is what God does. He leads them and he settles them. And, and I said that then we would see something about God's character because this is what God does. He, he satisfies. He fills. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men because he satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with good things. We know from Scripture that only God can, shape, can fill the void that is shaped for God. Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah calls out to the people and says, this is, this is what the Lord says, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they've gone away from me? God says, what fault have people found in me that they've abandoned me? They have walked after vanity and they've become vain. They've walked after that which is worthless, and they themselves have become worthless. God says, what fault was there in me that people have abandoned me? What fault have you found with God that you would not look to him for direction and satisfaction? Indeed, God goes on in there. He says, has a nation ever changed their gods to something that's not really a god? Why would you trade the true God for something that's false? Has this ever happened before? But my people have changed their glory for that which doesn't profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Living water is a Hebrew expression for a flowing, running stream. A stream of cool, cold, refreshing water. God says, that's what I'm like. I'm like a cool spring. Why are you going about digging wells 
not even wells. Why are you going about digging pits in the desert to hold your water when there's a stream right next door? Why would you abandon a stream of water and go and dig a pit? And he says, and by the way, these pits don't hold water. So all you're going to have for moisture is that muddy scum at the bottom of your cistern. Why have you exchanged the fountain of living waters for a broken cistern? This is God's, this is God's complaint. You can see God's incredulous. God can't believe it. What, what fault have you found in me that this is what you would want? And yet, don't we do this ourselves? We see something in this world and we think, uh, maybe that will satisfy. And we abandon God's way and we turn there and, and, oh, that didn't work. Well, let's try this. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this. Well, that didn't work. I'll try this over here. And we're wandering in trackless wastes, finding nothing that satisfies. But when you turn to God, God will give you the way and he satisfies you with himself. He fills you with goodness. The Psalm, psalmist says in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me, hound me down all the days of my life. This is what God does. There are problems in this world, and sometimes they are because we are wandering. But what if the problem is something of your own doing? something that you have brought into your life. And in fact, that is the next category that the psalmist goes to. The psalmist says that there are some people who sat in darkness, verse 10, and in the shadow of death, bound in afflictions and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, God brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. In this case, the crisis that these people have encountered is their own rebellion and ruin. This is a passage that directly connects consequences with rebellious rejection of God's ways. This is teaching us that God makes life hard on those who reject him. Have you ever found that in your own life? You rejected God's ways and life just got really hard. There were, when we lived in Greenville, two sisters that we knew. Both had heard the gospel, gone to Bible clubs and attended church. One had Bible studies with my wife in our home, but they refused to submit to authority. One was put in a military-style disciplinarian school. The other was in and out of juvenile detention and until recently was still under the custodial of the county, custody of the county for violating parameters of house arrest as a teenager. That's an example of how God brings circumstances down to pressure those who rebel against the Lord. Here's somebody who knows the truth and persists in fighting it. And you know, this is part of God's grace. We sang this in Amazing Grace, and I don't know if you've, if you've focused on this, this line before, but it says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Do you realize it's God's grace that teaches you to fear the consequences of your sin? That's grace. 
Because the other side of grace, as that stanza goes on, is "'Twas grace that relieved those fears when I believed in Christ." It's God's grace to put you to the point where you need to call out to God. Maybe you're there. Maybe you've been fighting the authorities in your life, the God-given authorities in your life. Maybe you've been fighting God's truth itself. You, you know what Scripture says, but you don't want to do it, and you've been going your own way, and God has made life hard. Do you realize that is God's mercy in your life to make life hard, to show you you can't do life without God? You have to do life God's way. So if you're in that position, what should you do? Well, these people, verse 13, cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. This is what God does. God's rescue in this case was to give them light and to give them liberty. Imagine them being in a dungeon, in chains, in a dark hole of their own making, of of God's pressing them down so that they fall. And here they are, they cannot stand, and they cry out to the Lord and God gives them light, and God gives them liberty. It says he saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of the darkness, out of the shadow of death, and he broke their chains in pieces. As we see God and as we see life accurately, we have light, we have liberty. Jesus connected these two in John 8. The truth will set you free. We have this mercy from God that he brings them out of those chains and out of that darkness. And if God does that for you, when you confess your sins and God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, what should you do? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two there are times in your life where you will come to the point where you say there's no way out of this i don't see how this could ever get fixed i don't see how this could ever be resolved and god is the one who can take those bars of bronze and those those gates of bronze and those bars of iron and break them open and release you from the captivity that you have arranged for yourself in god's providence But sometimes, we're simply foolish. When I was first moving out of our, our first apartment, and we had purchased a home, we, need, we needed a washer and a dryer. And so, being the um, cheap people that we were, we looked on classifieds to look for somebody who was getting rid of a dryer. I was always on the lookout for a deal, and I found one, and I called the guy, and I heard he had a set that was available. It was heavy duty. It was in good condition. He was just getting rid of it because he was downsizing. But somebody else was going to see it the next morning. So if we wanted it, we better come now and and look at it. Now or never. So we we went, you know, you you know where this is going, right? (laughs) We went, we we found him. We met him at his storage unit at 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday night. Um, And pretty soon we had given him the money and we had some regular lemons on our hand. (laughs) Uh, I I learned how to repair washers and dryers by experimenting on that washer and dryer we picked up outside that storage unit at night. Picked up a few replacement parts, and we kept it going for about five, six years. We did have to put up with an atrocious noise in that dryer until somebody mercifully gave us one they didn't need anymore. We were just foolish, and 
well, we suffered the consequences, right? Sometimes that happens in God's world. Can you look at back on times in your life where you've just been foolish? Perhaps there were spiritual con- consequences for your foolishness. Is there redemption for those kind of people? Well, yes, there is. The, the psalmist tells us that next. Look at verse 17. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They drew near to the gates of death. They were suffering the consequences of their own wrong choices, their own foolish choices. The, the natural consequence of sin is trouble. We, we saw in the previous one where God was pushing them down, but you realize God doesn't always have to get involved. Sometimes we just suffer the consequences of our own actions, don't we? And so what should you do when you've made foolish choices and you're, and you're having to live with the consequences of your own actions? What should you do? Well, these people in this psalm cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He sent his word, and he healed them, and he delivered them from their destructions. This is a fascinating verse. God speaks, and they're healed. We we spend all this time creating all these problems for ourselves. And in this passage, God speaks. He sends his word, and he heals them and delivers them from their destructions. Has God ever done that for you? You've built for yourself a whole web of problems from foolish choices. And it's not to say that God always reverses the consequences of those things, but God can restore you into a right relationship with him. And God can, if he wants to, dispel those those issues. And when God does that, what should you do? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works among the children of men. Their response, again, is praise. And in this case, we're not seeing something more about the character of God. The psalmist is telling us, verse 22, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. The psalmist is reminding you that you have a responsibility to tell people what God has done in your life. The sacrifice of praise, sacrifice of thanksgiving, a phrase that that, uh, Paul picks up on, says this is what we give. We give the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And so we declare God's words to others. Now up to this point, the examples we focused on have been related to aspects of our fallen state that bring us to the point where we need to ask God for forgiveness. We need to repent. But not all difficulty can be attributed attributed directly to sin, can it? If, If we stopped here in my message this morning, I may be giving you a false impression that all of the problems in your life are a direct result of your sin. And so you start ransacking your life and saying, okay, where have I sinned that this is my problem? Like the disciples asked Jesus, so who sinned? This guy or his parents that he was born blind. You know, where's the cause and effect between sin and this problem? Well, we know that there's a connection back in Adam when God brought the curse upon the world because of Adam's sin. But in your own life, is that always the case? And that's where this psalm helps us so much in the next stanza. Because there are also those who are just distressed. Look at, look at verse 23. 
There are those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business in great waters, and they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man. They are at their wit's end. Were you paying attention in that passage? Who are the people who are in trouble? Just the businessmen. The fishermen, the sailors, going about their everyday business. This is their occupation. Those are the people who are in trouble. Why are they in trouble? What does the passage say? Why are they in trouble? God caused a storm. Here they are going about their everyday business, and God caused a storm. And we know that the sailors are, are, tend to be pretty powerful people, right? Hard workers, strong, capable. But against the sea, they know they are no match. The strongest of people going about their everyday life can be brought low and, as this passage says, at their wit's end. Not through any fault of their own, but because God himself designed a storm. Are you okay with that? Is God allowed to do that? Why would God do that? <laughs> so that we would cry out to the Lord in our distress. You see, that's what happens. God brings a storm upon everyday businessmen and brings them to their wits end. Then, it's not about them. Then it's not about their ability to control the ship. Then it's not about their commerce. Then it's not about their income. Then it's not about, it's about crying out to God. They cried to the Lord in their, in their trouble, and God brings them out of their distress. God created the storm so that he could bring them out of the storm. God brought them out of the storm and gave them peace. He calms the storm, verse 29, so that its waves are still, and then they are glad because they are quiet. And God guides them to their desired haven. This is a remarkable picture. The boat sets out with a goal. We need to make it to this destination. We're, we're going to this, this place. We have this business to complete. And you get out to sea, and God stirs up a storm. And they fear for their lives, and they call out to God for mercy, and God makes everything quiet and brings them on their way, and they make it where they were intending to go. Why the storm? So that they would cry out to the Lord in their distress, and so that, what should you do when God delivers you from that distress? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Oh, that you would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And not just vertically, not just praise the Lord, but let them exalt him in the assembly of the people. Praise him in the company of the elders. 
the psalmist is saying that there's a responsibility that you have when you're gathered with the people of God to rehearse the things that God has done for you. Has there ever been a time in your life where you can say, God designed a storm and brought us to our wit's end, and I cried out to the Lord, and look what he did. If you have a story like that, you cannot keep that to yourself. I mean, sure, there's some that are, are very private blessings, but you need to be sharing those things with those around you. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness in the assembly of the people. Oh, that you would share those things that God has done. The response is praise corporately. So let's review, okay? Let's review. What are the four situations? What's the crisis of the first people? hopeless longing in the wilderness and what how does god rescue them he gives them leading and he gives them rest because of god's character he satisfies these fills so what should you do when you're in trouble cry to the lord what should you do when he rescues you praise the lord okay second one god releases the imprisoned rebel what was their problem they rebelled against the lord and god pushed them down you read the passage it says god made life hard so that they fell god pushed them down and what did they do they cried to the lord and god rescued he gave them liberty and light because his character is to set people free and so what should you do when god does that for you praise him that's right third sometimes you just have the consequences of your sin right Iniquity and affliction. How does God rescue them? He gives healing and deliverance. So what should you do when you've cried to the Lord and he gives you his deliverance? Praise him. Good. Declare his works to others. And then the fourth category, those who are going about their everyday business and God creates a storm. They're at their wit's end and God's rescue involves peace and success. And when God gives that to you, what should you do? Praise the Lord. The final section of the psalm teaches us that God works in all of life. Let's read these verses together. Verse 33, notice all these reversals as God controls all of circumstances to direct ourselves to him. God turns rivers into a wilderness and water springs into a dry ground. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah, that fertile valley that then became salt and wilderness for the rest of history. But, verse 34, I'm sorry, verse 34 continues that, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. But, verse 35, he turns a wilderness into pools of water, dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place, and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them, and they multiply greatly. He doesn't let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression and affliction and sorrow, he pours contempt on, prison, on princes and causes them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction. It makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. God can design all of the circumstances of life to direct you to him. God can provide for you or God can make you lack. God can give you success. God can orchestrate failure. 
God directs life because he wants you in a right relationship with him. And God is directly involved in your life. Talks about him judging the wicked and blessing those who call on him. The psalmist is telling us God is involved in your life. And so, how does the psalm end? Well, it ends with a plea to every one of us. Whoever is wise will observe these things. Do you want to be wise? Pay attention. Pay attention to what Psalm 107 says. You will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. We've sung about Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Amazing grace. What does that love look like in your life? Do you really understand that kind of love, that kind of commitment because of a relationship? Not just something sentimental, but but that commitment that God has made to you, his people, because he's in a relationship with you. You know what it looks like? It looks like God getting involved in your circumstances. It looks like God messing with your life so that you turn to him and direct your attention to him so that you can praise him on the other side for all the things that he has done. Let's pay attention to what this says about God. God is good, verse 1. God's mercy endures forever. God redeems his children from trouble. God delivers those who call on him out of distress. God leads those who wander. God satisfies the longing soul. God fills the hungry with goodness. God makes life hard for the rebellious. God brings the darkened into the light. God breaks the bonds of the enslaved, both the gates of brass and the bars of iron. God sends out his word. God delivers the foolish Uh, heals the foolish and delivers the foolish from their own self-destruction. God raises up fierce storms, bringing men to the end of themselves. And then God makes those same storms a calm. God helps those who call on him to succeed. God dries up rivers. God punishes wickedness with famine. God makes deserts into lakes. God feeds the hungry and establishes them. God blesses with provisions. God judges oppressors. God sets the poor above affliction. God blesses the families of his people. And the righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things. Even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. They will think about, meditate on, consider the great love of the Lord. So in conclusion, God, through Psalm 107, has caused us to meditate on how God works his steadfast love in every facet of our lives. Especially the difficulties that we face whether it's health, occupation, economics, relationships, personal struggles. God's at work because he loves you. Hebrews says it this way, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't think lightly when God brings circumstances down. And and Hebrews is not just talking about chastening for sin. He's talking about the circumstances of life that get hard. When God does that in your life, don't ignore it. That is God's loving, steadfast faithfulness to you to point you to him so that you will praise the Lord for his goodness. So what circumstances maybe did God use to bring you to Christ in the first place? 
Why are you a Christian? Was it that you were utterly dissatisfied with your current way of life? Was it that you were under his severe chastisement for your rebellion? Were you blundering along with a life lived outside of Christ and suffering all the consequences of your own way? Were you a religious person who finally came to the end of your own strength and self-sufficiency? In any case, you can point to the circumstances that God used to bring you to himself. And God does the same thing in our lives from day to day. Whatever the circumstance, if you know Christ, the same thing has happened. You cried to the Lord, your covenant-keeping God, and he delivered you. And now on the other side, you have something that you can praise him for. So will you praise him? What are you doing to declare God's good works to others? This is a call to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Jesus loves you. God loves you. That does not mean that life will always be easy. It does mean that God wants you to love him. And God will orchestrate your life so that Jesus, who loves every one of you, you can say, I love Jesus too, because he first loved me. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have shown us in your word this morning the mercy, the loving kindness, the steadfast love of the Lord. Thank you that you have given us this hope that we have a God who is not ugly, who is not, does not just whimsically do something off off a whim, but instead a God who orchestrates all of life to your purposes and to your good plan. Help us to trust you and help us to praise you for the things that you have done. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask if there's someone here who would say, you know what, Christopher, I, I don't know that I have ever really understood the love of the Lord and submitted myself to him for salvation. I don't know that I have considered the steadfast love of the Lord and ever really cried out to him for deliverance from my sin, from the consequences of my sin, and, my, and, and called on him for salvation. If you would say that, I would like to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out, but I would like the opportunity to pray for you. Would you say, Christopher, I have never trusted Christ, would you pray for me? If you'd say that, would you slip up your hand? Christians, are you recognizing God's work in your life? Have you taken stock of the ways that God has demonstrated his loving kindness for you? Older people in the room, are you telling the younger people what God has done? Younger people, are you listening when people tell you what God has done? God has designed these things to point us to love for him. Let's take a moment and meditate on these things, and you can talk to the Lord.